Hello and welcome to the second edition of New Model Advisors podcast. This is Jack Gilbert here, Senior Reporter at New Model Advisor. And this week we're going to be talking all things FCA's platform market study, as well as hearing from our reporters about their experiences at the party conferences this year. So firstly, platforms. Um, and in the studio we have latest chats. Um, Malcolm Kerr, who's a senior advisor at EY and a non-executive director at Fairstone. So last week, uh, we uncovered details of what the FCA is asking for as part of its platform market study. It sent out a comprehensive survey um, to platform providers and advice firms. New model advisor reporter Christine Dawson, who joins me now, um, broke the story and got a hold of the hefty reports. And Christine, it's fair to say that not all the questions were we, what were we, we were expecting. No, there were um, some small surprises, I'd say. Uh, One of the first things that struck us was the FCA was questioning platforms about loan arrangements with advice firms. And it wasn't something that had been explicitly mentioned before in the terms of reference paper in July. I mean, it does definitely fit neatly into the themes that they're exploring with the study. So, you know, they're looking at things like the risk of conflict of interest and how clients are or are not getting value for money. And yeah, not surprising anyone, there was mention of uh, fees, I understand. Yeah, they took a really like deep dive look into fees, so how platforms charge their fees, how they negotiate discounts, and then on the other side of it, they've sent out surveys to advice firms where they've been asking them for lots of details about how they charge, uh, how they negotiate platform fees as well. So yeah, it's... Um, no surprises that they're looking at fees. I mean, it's always been on the cards, I think. The FC has made no secret of that, but uh, it was the depth and breadth of the questions, really, that struck us. Yeah, and uh, how have the providers responded to the questions the FCA has thrown at them? I would say, for the most part, it seems, I've either heard or they've told me, it's overwhelming. There's a lot there. Um huge amount of questions going to take a lot of time for them to respond but you know, there are others that are a bit more stoic about it and saying well we get a compliance team on it and just crack on. Malcolm thanks for coming in to chat with us about platforms platform market study and these surveys in particular that have gone out to the companies. Have you seen any kind of reaction from the, the platforms themselves? Have they given you any feedback about how the FCA has gone about gathering this data? No, they haven't. I mean, all the feedback I've had is around just one more thing that they've got to do at a time when they're trying to deal with PRIPs and MIFID and all the other stuff. So, you know, there's an issue here about capacity. And um, it's obviously a very broad and a very deep survey, and that's going to take a lot of time to complete. I mean, do you think the FCA is going to be flexible on this? No. No, I don't. I mean, no. I, I think that they would be flexible on MIFID, and if you've got a plan for MIFID, then the FCA would say, well, look, if you've got a plan, but you don't meet the deadline, then we're going to be flexible. But I haven't heard anything along those lines insofar as the platform study is concerned. Moving on to one of the questions we saw then, we wrote a story on this last week. It was about the financial arrangements between platforms and advice firms. Uh, the FCA is asking platform companies to give details of these, including any loan arrangements, so any loans that they've made to advice firms and, and what the details were of those. Uh, what were your thoughts when you saw that in the survey? You know, I understand why they might want to know about 
does everyone get the same pricing deal or things like that? But um, no, I don't get the loan question at all. And I'm not aware of any loans that have been made, but that does not mean to say it hasn't happened, <laughs> but I'm not aware of it. The FCA has asked about it. They must think there's some kind of a risk that comes along with it, some kind of risk of detriment to the end consumer. Is there anything you could pinpoint? Well, I guess you, know, you could consider it might be an inducement. That might be an issue that's concerning them. They're thinking, you know, what might... Cl- Maybe the mindset goes like this. What might platforms do in order to get new user advisor users? And they maybe look at everything that might encourage people to use that platform. That just might be one item that they think might be worth looking at. You know, there are lots of ways to encourage a, an advisor to use a platform other than lending that advisor money. So you know, I imagine that... You know, this could be a cul-de-sac in terms of the FCA's investigation. Okay, so moving on to fees then, which was the second story we put out last week. So why do you think they're looking as closely as they are at fees? Like what kind of issues have come up with platform fees recently that could have led them to do this really deep dive into the issue at the moment? Well, I think the fees, the fees issue is actually pretty important on a number of dimensions. And from the SCA's point of view, they just want to make sure that the platform market is working with the interests of the consumer paramount. And so fees are a good place to start. And I think the fee, the fee situation is, um, what the first I mentioned is, you know, the quantum of the fees. And, you know, what the FCA are asking is whether or not every advisor firm pays the same fees for the same platform. And the answer to that is not necessarily so. And I don't think that's a problem. I mean, from a platform's point of view, if it's got an advisor that's giving it a very substantial amount of business, then I don't see why it would be inappropriate for that platform to maybe you know, give a slightly lower fee out to that advisor's clients. So you know, I think that's an important point, that that reduction in the fees goes through to the client. It's not money that's held by the, the firm that's using the platform. So I think that that is perfectly understandable. And I look at it like the rack rate in a hotel. You can look at the, the room charge, and then if you go online, you can get a dif- different rate. And so what I have discovered over the years of working in this space is that, yes, there is definitely an issue whereby certain organisations, you know, for one reason or another, have platform charges that are lower than other organisations. The issue currently also is, uh, is about whether the client should pay it, as, they, as is currently the issue, or whether the advisor firm should pay it. I don't think it makes any difference because if the advisor firm is paying it, it will simply increase the charge for the client. I mean, there's no question that the, the advisors are going to have this coming out of their P&L, and why should they? Would it end up with the client paying more than they currently do, do you think? It's conceivable, but I doubt it, and I'll explain why in a minute. But um, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that, in the end, that the client's going to pay, you know, just be directly or via the charges, the advisor levels. Um, but when it comes to these charges, because with MIFID 2, they're going to be in very sharp relief. I mean, the client is going to see that platform charge every quarter, and therefore that in itself, I think, might mean that the market does die to move down platform charges. But the issue there is that the margins that most platforms are making are very small anyway. So um, it's not in anybody's interest that these platforms have run out of money. You know, <laughs> that's another issue. You know, who's going to look after the clients if that's the case? So I think fees generally, I think they're going to move, still move down a bit. And, and that's a problem because there's an oversupply of platforms as well as this new transparency. I think the other thing about the fees is there's going to be a move more towards some fixed fees, particularly for, for larger investors, as opposed to basis points. 
And again, I think that MIFID 2 and the way those fees are going to be shown might encourage you know, a bit more flexibility, a bit more creativity around the way people are charged, both for advice and for the platforms. Okay, so um, do you think the FCA is using this as a way to move towards the prospect of uh, advice firms paying for the platform rather than the client? I think it's not really clear what their overall objective is. They just want to see that the market's moving properly. Um, to me, if a client pays the fee of whatever, £100 um, themselves, it's the same as if the advisor's fee has an additional £100 attached to it to cover the cost of the platform. So I really don't think it's a particularly big deal. Some people suggest that if the advisor was paying, there'd be more pressure on the platforms to reduce their costs. You know, I don't really buy that. It's not surprising that the FCA want to take a very close look at this and in the, in the broadest sense that they can, because you can't afford market failures here. And so you've also got the issue of the amount of money that platforms are spending on replatforming, which, you know, my guess is that when all is said and done, that might run, you know, to a billion pounds. And um, that is a huge amount of money with a huge amount of work being done. And with a big migration, uh, and two or three big migrations are currently taking place, um, yeah, there's, there's ample opportunity for things to go wrong, as some of them have. So it doesn't surprise me that the FCA are looking at this in, in, a, in a great deal of detail. Um, but I guess you need to look at non-advised platforms as well. And some of the non-advised platforms, particularly the new kind of robo-advisor platforms, you know, are burning money pretty, pretty swiftly. So I guess the FCA would want to know what happens if those guys run out of money. Do you think with all the questions on fees that they're asking, though, that they could run the risk themselves of becoming a pricing regulator? No, I don't. I think that one of their concerns would be, you know, is the market working correctly? So is there proper com competition around fees and around functionality between the platforms? And I think they'll see that there is. Um, you know, some platforms are high touch, higher cost, some are very low touch, slightly lower cost. So, you know, I can see that. They'll want to be comfortable that the advisors are selecting platforms that meet the requirements of their clients rather than meet their own criteria. That's important. Um, when it comes to the cost, I would imagine that um, the, the, the market, I think the market does work pretty well. I mean, cost might not be the number one item on the criteria that advisors are using, but it's certainly important. Um, and so over time, the price is actually moving down slightly. Um, so, no, I don't think they can want to regulate that. And I certainly hope they don't become a price regulator because, you know, that, that, that wouldn't be good for the market. Regulated prices are, are sheer anathema to professional services as far as I'm concerned. You mentioned the platform technology and replatforming. So the FCA is asking questions on that in this survey as well. I should say it's a very long survey that's been sent out that was mentioned at the beginning but the scope of the questions is quite broad and that's one section is about asking platform companies how much they're investing in this technology and how long they think that investment is going to last before they might have to invest again to put it very simply mm. that's the kind of thing that they're asking um what, again why do you think that they're digging into this subject so what do they think the risk is? Yeah, I think that's, you see, some platforms are actually relatively small scale and have relatively limited capital behind them. Um, others are, you know, institutional. So I think for, for some platforms, it might be in the middle there, there may be concerns as, well, look, you know, is this business in the long run going to be sufficiently profitable to sustain itself? You know, there could be a risk that some of these platforms actually run out of money. 
Um, and that is a headache for the regulator. So I guess they'd like to see some evidence of what, what the financials look like in terms of future P&L and, and issues like that, because for some of the non-advice platforms that are reasonably quite new to the market, um, you know, it's in the public domain that they're losing quite a lot of money. And so, and they have external investors. And at some stage, I guess the FCA would be concerned about, well, what if the external investors say, enough is enough, we don't want to carry on supporting this initiative. And then what happens to the clients of those non-advice platforms? And in particular, I think personally, there's a risk that if a few of those platforms do fail to make money and actually have to go into runoff or whatever that might be, you know, it's this is probably um, a huge generalization, but I would imagine that quite a few of the users of the new platforms are relatively inexperienced investors. That would be my, my, my kind of hypotheses. If that's the case, the last thing we want to see are inexperienced investors putting money onto a platform that fails. That's going to be put them off investing for, for quite some time. So I'm not surprised that the FCA are asking these questions. Uh, you know, and some of the numbers really are you know, huge. So we've, we've seen some that you know, we're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds. So it's, if an institution finds itself in that situation, well, they'll have the capital behind. But if somebody else was in that situation, with external shareholders, then it's hard to know, you know what might happen. So lastly then, they've asked questions about the platforms, tools that they offer and the calculators. And they've asked the question, how do you ensure that when a client is using these, what's happening there is not straying into a personal recommendation? So how are you making sure that you're not giving regulated advice through the platform? Uh, Very good question. In, in my experience of working with platforms, and I've worked with most of them, big and small. That's not true. I've worked with about half of them, big and small. Uh, the management of those platforms that are non-advice platforms. So we're now talking about platforms that are used by advisors, yeah, rather than platforms that are used directly by clients. Um, they are acutely aware of the need not to stray into advice. It's, it's, in fact, it goes as far as they're paranoid about not straying into advice. And actually, most of the tools that advisors use are on the, inside their practice management solutions rather than on the platform. So there are tools that maybe consumers can use, which might say, um, you know, in terms of a pension sitting on a platform, you know, the, the provider might easily come along and say, you know, if, if you want to get two thirds of your, pe- your payment, you, you, need to, you could put in this amount of money, which are definitely tools, not giving people advice as whether they should or shouldn't. So... Um, I don't. I mean, I think I don't blame the FCA for asking. I want to be confident about that. But I think that's a, a, that is for, for a platform that is not intending to give advice. Giving advice by accident would would be a, a very very serious issue. And I actually, I think normally they stay well aware from that. You know, it's not like a line in the sand. It's like a trench. You know, they do not want to go into that space. In fact, there are some platforms that are direct platforms, where. Advisors may be using them, but also consumers may be using them directly. Again, that's a big issue. Um, and, and there are some things that those organisations can do, which go, go and help tell clients what they could do. I use what could do, but they don't say what they should do. And that's the difference between advice and not advice. And I, I haven't seen anything that makes me think that they're getting close to that line. Their compliance people be all over this. It's a compliance manager's nightmare to discover that you've actually been giving advice by mistake. Before we finish then, any other comments or reflections on the platform market study so far or the surveys that they've been sending out to different firms? 
I think, I think in a way it's unfortunate that this this study has come out at the same time as MIFID and PRIPS are like hundred days away, because uh, platforms got a big role to play in this space. And actually, with PRIPS, there's a lot of data they need to create that they don't have sitting on shelves. So I think it's a shame. It would be good if the FCA recognised that this actually might need a bit of leeway in terms of time. But I do understand that they've got their own time horizons that they've got to meet. But I, I can understand, you know, if I was running a platform at the moment and I'd be looking at senior managers regime, I'd be looking at MIFID, I'd be looking at PRIPS, I'd be looking at the farmer, I'd be looking at asset management review, I'd be looking at this. I mean, it really is a whole heap of work that needs to be done by these organisations. And, um, you know, they're going to be very, very stretched to meet all the deadlines. But having said all of that, what I would say is that it's good to see that the SCA is trying to get underneath the skin of the platforms and really understand the financial metrics, really understand the technology, really understand the tools, really understand the client experience, really understand the costs. Because I think they're probably aware of the fact they haven't really been in that space before with this kind of detail. And it's only good and proper that the regulator should actually have a very firm knowledge of something that's a very, very important, that part of the financial advice infrastructure. Malcolm Kerr, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Over the past few weeks, the uh, Newmont advisor journalists have gone to uh, all of the major political party conferences. Um, and we've got Elliot Smith, reporter at Newmont advisor. Elliot, you did the Lib Dems and the SNP. What did you make of the uh, the Lib Dems first up? Um, well, the, the main sort of thing that was, uh, was very obvious is that they're very unified on, on all the big issues, um, but also increasingly self-aware. Uh, they realise they've got a very long way to go to regain their image and their sort of a definite collective effort to try and address how they can sort of make their uh, policies a little bit more sexy in a way was the the general thing. The sexy Lib Dems. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the word Ed Davey used at one point. Anyway, yeah, it was uh, referred to them as policy geeks, but uh, generally lacking in PR value. Nice, <laughs> interesting. Um, and, and any interesting tales or anecdotes when you were there? Um, there's. Always, it seems to be a, an annual scandal. There's the uh, karaoke, sort of, well, the um, a cappella karaoke thing they do, which is sort of a crude renditions of famous songs with um, politically poignant lyrics. Um, this one, uh, the one that I remember most starkly was, uh, I think Tony Black and F Off and Die was one of the ones. <laughs> so, uh, Tasteful. Several hundred people yelling that drunk at the top of their lungs was quite an experience. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the SNP, did that top the Lib Dems for you? How did you find it? Um, the SNP was much more rowdy, as you can probably imagine. Um, their support is much more, I guess, uh, fervent. Um, it was everyone got a you know rapturous reception, um, and I, but the, there certainly wasn't that uh, that self critique that the Lib Dems have. It was very much uh, kind of pats on the back all around. Um, it seemed to be quite a reluctance to sort of address any, any shortcomings in the, the party. but Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. And any interesting anecdotes from your time there? Um, there was a, a guy dressed as Boris Johnson um, doing a, a sort of modified rendition of Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball, um, which was, that was quite entertaining. Um, yeah, the, sort of the, the lyrics, I, th- I can't remember the verses, they were brilliant. Um, which is sad, but the, the chorus stuck in my head for weeks. It was just like I came in like a bawling wreck, and then Teresa made me foreign sec. <laughs> 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 
stuff. So I was at the Labour conference in Brighton. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot going on there. Um, huge amount of fringe events. There was a lot of energy as well when you're walking around. And I guess my overall impression was. Um, well, the party didn't fall apart during the course of the conference, which... Success? Yeah, I think that's probably a success. I mean, they had their struggles with the debate about whether or not to debate the single market membership. The uh, debate about the debate? Yeah, the debate about whether or not to debate this issue at the conference. Um, so I think that probably did touch on some pretty deep divisions in the party, but um, they, uh, they pulled through, you know? I think a few people had to bite their tongue. Um, I spoke to one MP who had been tirelessly campaigning for the b- debate to take place. The Labour Party has come from last year, year before. It's starting to look more like a, a real opposition, um, you know, a, dare I say, potentially viable government or party in government, um, government in waiting, that's what they like to call it these days. Um, yeah, there was, you know, people bragging about how the relationship with business is improving now. I, I mean, what they're not saying, but it's implicit, is that business was not taking them seriously previously. But now they're saying, well, all our exhibition tables have been uh, taken up very quickly by all these different businesses who want to come to the conference. Okay, well, I mean, there was a lot of quirky stuff happening at the World Transformed um, Fringe Festival. So that's organised by Momentum and Volunteers. And it runs alongside the main conference and the other sort of mainstream fringe events. And it's it's really different. Like, the contrast is quite stark. You know, you'd be at um, some talk about the future of the City of London in the mainstream fringe event. And then you go over the road to this uh, festival and the speaker is addressing people as comrade. And it's like, and wealth written on the walls. It's like, uh, it's very, very different. Um, so the Labour... Um, so at one of the events there, Jeremy Corbyn was speaking and the crowd was predictably raucous uh, when he came in to speak. As the crowd settled down, I noticed that in front of the stage, sort of sat cross-legged, looking out to the audience, flanking Jeremy Corbyn, if you will, there were all these young Momentum members, I think they were Momentum members, and yeah, just sat cross-legged in front of the stage, staring into the middle distance as for the whole time that he was talking. I don't know why they were there, if there was like some purpose that wasn't clear to me, um, but I did have to wonder. They're monitoring the audience to make sure everyone was doing the right thing. Could be, that's, yeah, your <laughs> suggestion perhaps. I mean, I did wonder if they were actually his life source. The Tory conference, what was your impression of that? So yeah, I was at the Tory conference in Manchester this year. Um, yeah, it was an interesting few days. Uh, so I, I thought, it, I felt it was, um, I was the one last year, um, which was in Birmingham. Uh, that conference was much more there was quite a, uh, a very gleeful atmosphere last year. Uh, Brexit just happened. Um, the Labour Party looked like it was about to implode. There was very much a feeling of the Tories had kind of had a very strong grip on power. And they, I remember last year that they were in the speeches, they were often a lot of jokes about the Labour Party and joking about you know Diane Abbott or um, John McDonnell being in power. Uh, I thought this year there were. Less jokes, uh, perhaps <laughs> yeah. a bit more of a worried a, a, a look on some of the um, the MPs and ministers' faces, and they definitely had a perhaps a more serious tone to it and felt actually worried that they might not be in, in power for forever. Um, and yeah, the the tone of the 
few days was it was a bit kind of a phony conference uh, in the days up leading up to it there was the whole thing about Boris Johnson uh, the rumors about him you know launching a coup or challenging May's leadership um, then we, before that we had the Florence speech and you know all the ministers kind of said that they got behind May and May's approach to Brexit so all the kind of rumors about a, a leadership plot and a takeover kind of died down um, and then during the event it was um, <clears throat> most of the attention was around any potential um, tensions in the, in the party but they kind of managed to hold it together and present a unified front for a few days um, but then as soon as as soon as uh, May gave her disastrous speech on the Wednesday uh, you know all those kind of um, hidden uh, drives for power and plotting the scheming from the MPs kind of launched out um, so so yeah they kind of they, they managed to hang it together until the very end when the um, wallpaper and signs started falling down <laughs> Yeah. Um, was there any odd moments there? Yeah, I mean, there's always you. I think you go to conferences, there's always weird things you see. Um, I remember at one point I was kind of sitting in the corridor um, writing a story um, because I didn't have a seat at the press lounge. <clears throat> and um, I just saw a woman walk past in a wedding dress and <laughs> looked around, and it was Katie Hopkins in a wedding dress, um, which was strange and kind of wondered if I'd hadn't had enough sleep the night before for a second. <laughs> That's that concludes Nemo Advisor's second podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Mm-hmm.